Hello, good day. Um, we are bringing another sermon this week. Uh, last week we had our men's camping trip, so uh, there wasn't a recording. But we will, going forward, uh, next week will be our last um, video recording, and then we'll continue to have the audio from our Sunday morning service. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that we can come to your word and that you have promised to meet us when we come to you and we open our hearts to hear from you. And you have promised that that word once spoken is always speaking. So we ask that you would give us ears to hear you, hearts to understand, in Jesus' name. When the Lord of heaven and earth makes his presence known, you feel it. When the creator of the world makes himself known, you know that he's there. A few times in my life, I have felt the presence of the Lord in an especially powerful way. And each of those times, uh, he, he surprised me as I was wrestling with a burden that I wasn't supposed to be carrying or uh, wrestling with a plan for life that wasn't a way that I was supposed to walk. And one of those occasions was this past year, early on during the COVID crisis, and I was literally walking down the sidewalk, just thinking, thinking about the situation. And then I became aware that the Lord had been there. It wasn't that he, he was there suddenly, it's that he was always there, but I became aware that he had been walking with me. And on that occasion, as with other times, his presence made me immediately extremely painfully self-conscious. That, that self-consciousness didn't last long, but it was piercing. It's like one of those dreams that probably most of us have had where we we're in a group and suddenly realize we don't have any clothes on. But the point of what happens uh, there, the point of what that, that, that self-consciousness, I think, is that I am to realize my nakedness before God, that He wants me to know that nothing is hidden from Him. But then, almost immediately, the Lord turned all attention, all of my attention to his goodness. And that painful self-consciousness fell away into a self-forgetfulness, swallowed up by this perfectly good one, the Lord. So, in other words, how could, how could I even hear my own thoughts when the good one, the great one, the, the perfect one, the worthy one was there, right there, and he might speak. So why would I give attention to anything else? He was there, and that's all that mattered. Well, on that occasion, he spoke something. Other times, his simply being there was enough. That, that, that dissolved the problem. God with us. Just him being there. It's corrective. God with us is corrective. Every other attempt to craft a meaning, uh, to, to try to take control of life or explain life to myself apart from him seems suddenly ridiculous. 
He's there. Uh, me being in control or trying to take control is ridiculous. And then the, the effect, though. After the Lord has made himself known, uh, as he withdrew the intensity of his presence, my struggle was gone, gone without a trace. He had brought things into order. What I'm describing here has been much better described by many others down through the ages. It fills the book of Psalms. It's the experience of David that he comes back to again and again. It echoes from the prophets. It includes the delights of peace and joy. And contentment is one of its most tangible fruits. Contentment. God with us restores who we were meant to be. And throughout the Bible, that coming together of the Holy One and the created in right order, with right attention on God, has a name. Rest. It's rest. Attending to the Lord brings rest. Rest is the subject of this message, and it's a message that God is always speaking. So if you hear it, then you can trust that it's from the Spirit. Well, we come to a moment in the Exodus as we're walking through the book of Exodus where the plans of God and His unimaginable goodness and His good intentions towards His people stands out in stark contrast to the plans and the ways of fallen man. God has just called uh, this people near to Him to confirm His commitment to them and to confirm their understanding of his covenant. So he's met with them. That was last week's passage in chapter 24. The people stood at a distance. Seventy elders, seventy leaders of the, the family clans were called forward, and then Moses was called forward from them. The people, the leaders, Moses, called up the mountain, called into the holy presence to receive instructions, and to receive the two tablets of stone where the Ten Commandments were written. Well, what God tells Moses when he goes up is how this people is to be near him. He's committed to them. Now, how are they to be near him? By this point in his shaping them as a people, the Lord has already committed himself to them. But now he has to tell the people how they're to live with this reality, creator of the universe, in the camp with them. Living with holiness, living with goodness. It isn't natural to them because what's natural to them is sin and evil. They're, they're fallen humans. And so there he is, holy and good. So the, the people among whom he's living has an appetite for self-destruction. They have an appetite for death, a taste for death. But since God has been with them, since he's delivered them, they have seen life. They've seen it. They've seen salvation. They've seen God's sustaining love. But God wants to give them an ongoing experience of it. He wants to give them a life of it a life of God's sustaining love, a life of salvation. And so, chapter 25, verse 8, he says, Let them make me a sanctuary, a 
holy place, that I may dwell in their midst. That's the goal. Exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and of all its furniture, you shall make it. Exactly as I show you. Multiple times in these chapters, God reiterates that you shall make these things exactly as shown you. As he speaks to Moses, the Lord is showing him. He's probably visually in some way showing Moses what he's telling him exactly like this. There's an important point here that God is teaching in this exactness. He, the Lord, knows what's good. He knows what's good for us. He, the Lord, determines what pleases him. And we don't get to decide that. We don't get to decide what's good. We don't get to decide what pleases God. How could humans possibly know uh, what the maker and the owner finds good unless he reveals it? I mean, the maker of a thing knows what he wants from a thing. So especially since we, uh, we've become warped away from the good design, how could we know? We don't get to decide nor revise what he said is good. So there on the mountain, God shows Moses a very profound thing, how he will dwell with them and how they are to honor him since he's with them. He describes an ark, a table, a lamp, and then he details the tabernacle, a tent, a tent of meeting where the ark, the table, and the lamp are to be placed. In terms of dimensions, the tabernacle strikes one as pretty modest. It's, it was 45 feet long, 15 feet wide, 15 feet wide. Uh, this is not a, a large tent. But notice that, that before he begins to tell them, if you're looking at chapters 25 through 31, before he begins to tell them how they are to approach, honor, and worship him, how the, the movements are to go, he begins with the visible signs of his presence. The ark. The ark with its, its covering, including two cherubim, who are shielding their faces with their wings, Some, something like this. They're, they're, they're turned towards one another rather than to him, shielding their faces. Because this ark is his throne. The ark is the throne. Chapter 25, verse 22, There I will meet with you. I will speak with you from above the mercy seat. That's the covering of the ark. From between the two cherubim, which are on the Ark of the Testimony. I will speak to you about everything which I will give you in commandment to the children of Israel. So this, this place, there above the Ark, this will be an earthly sign or symbol of the heavenly throne. His commandments, God's commandments, His law, are part of the throne. They're in the Ark. That that's where the two tablets are going to go. His commandments are part of the throne. There's a message there. Goodness and the right order of life, righteousness, 
are connected with God's throne. Like Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will remain. As long as the rule of God continues, as long as God is on his throne, which is forever, right and wrong are unchangeable. They're fixed. They are connected to his rule. So in this tent that he's it's about to be constructed, God has set his throne room as a single point of contact for the created world. Though he, he fills the earth with his glory, but here is the place from which he will speak. Well, in the tent, there's also to be a table with bread on it, 12 loaves, each loaf representing one of the tribes of Israel. We all know pretty much wherever uh, you find bread in ritual throughout the world, regardless of the religion, it carries the same meaning. Bread is provision for life. It's, it's a symbol of need, human need, and of the need being met. Bread is meeting provision for life. So there, that's there in, in the tent. Then there's a lamp that's to be made of 75 pounds of pure gold. And it's made in the shape of a tree. This is a menorah with seven cups, seven cups for oil to be placed in and to be kept continually burning. It's a tree that gives light. A throne, a table of bread, and a tree of light. That sounds familiar. The Israelites recognized, their rabbis taught throughout the centuries, that here in this tabernacle, God had taken a step of restoring Eden, paradise. Eden was the garden of the Lord's presence. It was the place where God put Adam and Eve to be with him. In Eden, he would speak to them. So from day to day, as he spoke, as they lived on, they would grow in knowledge, they would grow in wisdom. From day to day, they would understand the world more and more. They'd understand the creation as they worked it. They would come to know and they'd come to appreciate each other more and more. They would come to know the Lord more and more. So getting to know and valuing each other's uniqueness, difference, discovering that they're better together, and discovering that they can know God better together. Well, most importantly, in the garden of the Lord, they would grow in the knowledge of the Lord. With no sin, with no self-consciousness, they were literally naked before him, but emotionally, intellectually naked before him. And they were not ashamed. There was no cause for shame. So there in the garden, the tree of life was a symbol of God's sustaining presence. And there Adam and Eve had all they needed. They were sustained. They were provided for. They had life and they had the presence of God. God's throne, a tree of life and constant provision, an ark, a lamp tree, and a table of bread. It's there in the tabernacle. 
chapter 29, verses 43 and following. There I will meet with the people of Israel, and it shall be sanctified by my glory. I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar. Aaron also and his sons I will consecrate to serve me as priests. I will dwell among the people of Israel. I will be their God, and they shall know that I am the great I am their God, who brought them out of the land of Egypt, so that I might dwell among them. I am the great I am their God. As the Lord makes these commandments, and, he, and he, he makes his commitment to the people, he's echoing his promise to Moses that, uh, that he made at the burning bush. He would bring them to this mountain. Uh, he, this, this was his plan all along, and now he's showing, he's showing Moses that his move that he had announced uh, to deliver Israel from slavery in Egypt was about much more than their freedom. It was about more than bringing them to Canaan. It was about more than giving them a blessed life. God, the great I am, the creator God, is showing that he has not forgotten paradise. He's not forgotten Eden. And his plan is to restore it. And this is a beginning. Well, there is, of course, the matter of sin. Why they got kicked out of Eden. This people he's chosen, like every people, is full of evil and rebellion. They, have, they are a hard-hearted people. So if he's going to dwell with them, they need to know how to worship him, how to align their lives with who he is. If the holy good God is going to be near, they can't just live as if he isn't. He must be taken account of. They can't ignore him and there be no consequences. So there on the mountain, the Lord shows Moses how this relationship between the Holy One and these wayward ones can work, how they can be together. More on this next week. Focus there. But for now, let's just observe that uh, the other things, the other furniture, parts of the temple, dress of the priests described in this section have to do with giving God honor, with acknowledging human sin and shaping the life of the people around the presence of God. But for today, look at the end of chapter 31, where God concludes this his instructions to Moses, and he gives Moses the two tablets of stone, written with his own finger, the finger of God. After showing Moses what the tabernacle should look like and how they are to approach it, the Lord concludes with the meaning of all this. Rest. 31 verses 16 and 17. The people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. It is a sign, the Sabbath is a sign forever, between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. What is this a sign of? It's a sign of their covenant. For the Israelites, a day of rest a week is a sign 
of being in covenant with the Creator, that He's come to dwell with them. So they show that they belong to Him, that He's among them because they have rest. He is the one who rested from His labors. And now they show that they're one with Him because they have rest. One day a week, they enter His rest. Verse 12 of 31, Above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. You are to rest so that you will know that I, the Lord, make you holy. God gave them this incredible gift of a command to rest. A a command to be refreshed. A command to be satisfied with Him. And with the command is the promise that He will refresh them, that He will give them a long life, that they'll be satisfied. But even this, even this good gift, and it was unlike anything that uh, any other nation had, a law to rest, even this was a sign pointing forward. Pointing forward. Hebrews chapter 4 explains, So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest. Jesus The Word of God, who was speaking to Moses on that mountain, tells us how to enter that rest. Come to me, he says, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Cease from your strivings. Cease from your strivings to make things work out. Stop striving to fix your life or to get your job or your relationships to fall into line with what you want. The burden of ruling the world is too heavy for you. The burden of getting the life you want is too heavy. You weren't made to rule. So Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest. He will give it. He will give it. Just as the Lord was teaching the Israelites in the desert, we enter his rest by being yoked to him, yoked up with the Lord, connected with him. He will order our steps in the way that's best, but we have to let Him lead. We have to walk with Him and let Him lead. There's a momentary pain in the yielding every time it comes up. I can attest to it. There's a pain in letting Him have access to all that's inside, but the end of it is rest. The end is rest. The end of that moment is rest, and the end of our life is rest. It's a rest that abides, that lives inside us. 
we have entered his Sabbath. So we ought to enjoy it. He's called us into it. We ought to enjoy it. Peace, joy, contentment. Because Jesus says gently, Come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We can come boldly to the throne of grace, as Hebrews says. And we can obtain mercy and find grace to help us in the time of need. And so we long for the day when the garden is fully restored. The Lord is moving us there. He has taken the steps to move us there and he's called us into his rest and it's not yet fulfilled. It's not yet in its completion when the whole earth becomes the dwelling place of God with men. But because he has taken the steps already, we can have great confidence that that rest awaits us. Lord, we pray. First, thank you for what you have done in securing rest for us. And, and we pray that uh, we who are hearing this word would embrace it, would embrace your gift, and enter your rest in Jesus' name.